Thank you, choir, and thank you for being here today. If you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to Luke chapter 24, Luke chapter 24. The word uh, Easter is a pagan word, and it comes from a pagan celebration, a pagan feast. But when Christians were converted uh, from out of paganism, they connected Resurrection Day with the Passover that the Jewish people celebrate and the Passover of which Christ was a part of. And so they brought the two together. And so Easter became a term for uh, resurrection and resurrection day. Um, uh, it's all right to say happy Easter because that has resurrection to it. As long as you don't connect it with the Easter bunny, okay, that's a good thing. Uh, so what I would like you to do is turn around to three people and tell them either happy Easter or happy resurrection day. Would you do that? Just go ahead and turn around and three people. Now we do serve a risen savior. And in uh, Luke chapter 24, in honor of God's word, would you stand and let me read a couple of verses which record for us the resurrection day. Chapter 24, verse 1, now upon the first day of the week. Now remember the Jew, Jews worshipped on the Sabbath day, which is on Saturday. But when Christianity came along, it saw the first day of the week as a time to celebrate the fact that we have a resurrected Savior. So every Sunday when we get together, we celebrate a resurrected Savior. Very early in the morning uh, when the turkey hunters were out. Amen. They were out that early morning. They came upon the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared and certain others with them. And what they found was something they didn't find. They found the stone rolled away and they didn't know how it was going to happen. And what Matthew tells us is there was this huge earthquake and the stone was rolled away. And they entered in. And what they didn't find was the body of the Lord Jesus. It's an empty tomb. I like the um, gospel song that says... There are no bones in Jesus' grave, and there are no bones in Jesus' grave. And they entered in, found not the body of the Lord Jesus, and it came to pass as they were perplexed, and they trying to put it together, but they had no experience to put it together. Behold, two men stood by them in shining garments, and as they were afraid, very much afraid, of fear, a lot of fear appears in the birth of Christ, but it also appears as we come to the resurrection of Christ, bowed down their faces to the earth, they said unto them, Why seek ye the living among the dead? He is not here, but he is risen. Amen? Amen. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word, and you may be seated. If we look at the writings of Thomas Jefferson, he would say there was no resurrection. A great man who I admire greatly, a writer of the Declaration of Independence. But when he wrote his Bible, he took out all the miracles of Jesus, and he took out the resurrection, and all that he had was a dead Jesus. Albert Schweitzer is one of the greatest men who ever lived. 
three doctorate degrees in organ and theology and medical degree. And he uh, went to Africa and there he helped people as a doctor in an African out-of-the-way place and won Nobel Peace Prize. But he said that Jesus was a misguided revolutionary who never made it out of the grave. And he admired him very much, but he doubted the resurrection. Rudolf Buchmann, who I studied so much, and he's a man who is so intelligent, one of the great writers of the New Testament. And he said, we don't know whether the resurrection happened, or not, but it's important that we believe it, whether it happened or not. Kind of like a fairy tale, we believe it. All these men are struggling with the resurrection, and they were great men. My grandmother went to Ebenezer Baptist Church in Stanton, Alabama. And there are still graves of my melting relatives all around Ebenezer Baptist Church. But there was a preacher there who was a part-time farmer who preached about the resurrection and my grandmother believed in the resurrection of Jesus Christ as her Savior. She grew up there, and she came to know Christ as her Savior. And she married my granddaddy, and then my granddaddy divorced her. And she lived as a divorced woman in a world that saw that as a scandal back then. But it was the living Christ that helped her through those kind of moments. When she passed away and uh, we placed her in New Live Oak Cemetery and we placed her in a grave, I placed her in the arms of a living Savior because she believed in the living Lord. And she taught me enough about that he could help you to face anything in this world. When Susan was baptized up here by Dr. Pearson, Dr. Pearson put her under when she was seven years old. And he said, you're baptized, placed under the water unto death, raised to walk in the living Christ. Because he lives, we can face tomorrow. You, you believe that? Amen. If you believe that, say Amen. Now, the resurrection was a time when it was uh, the greatest critics of the resurrection were the first disciples because they were at a place where they were just, just didn't know what to do next. Kind of a out-of-the-way place. They were in holding a kind of uh, upper room situation. They had enough uh, faith to bring them together, but not enough faith to go out. And so they were struggling with what to do next. And what could have happened was the whole group could have been disbanded. But something happened there that changed their lives, that made a difference in the world in which, and they became the most powerful people in the world as they carried Christianity throughout the whole wide world. Something happened. It just wasn't that they felt better about this. Something happened. Um, one of the things that uh, Susan tells me about is when she was with her mother in the nursing home, they had a, a fire drill. Have you ever seen a fire drill in a nursing home? <laughs> 
It's a very exciting place. So they get their walkers and they start going out. So they get in the hallway, and as they get in the hallway, uh, they didn't know what to do. They were just there in the hallway with their walkers, waiting for instructions. And their question was, what do we do next? So Susan got in front of them and said, go here. She didn't know where to go, but that seemed to look like a good place to go. And she said, go here. So there they go, go walking in there. Now, I'll say that because I think about that, because here were the disciples. What do we do next? What's going to happen to us next? And the fear of the unknown is a hard thing to deal with. Psychologists say that's one of the greatest fears that there are. What happens next? Where are we going to go from here? Is there any kind of direction that we can follow when we get to that place, even in our walker? Where are we going to go from here? And that's a good question. Now, they never had experienced anything. They had been with Jesus for all these years, three and a half years they had been with him. Sometimes they were very good for him. Sometimes they were very bad for him. They were not the most intelligent people in the world. They were fishermen and tax collectors and people that he had brought from Nazareth. And they said that Nazareth was a place. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Jesus said, you're going to deny me three times. Or he said that to Peter. And when the cock crows, which is his wake-up call, Peter cried. Now, he wasn't a man that cried much, but he cried because he had let down the Savior, and he struggled with that, letting down the Savior. And it's going to take a lot to bring him back. But the risen Lord appeared to him and brought him back. Now, Friday was a terrible day. It was, it was kind of a day when, when everything seemed to go wrong and they had denied Jesus and it just seemed like such a bad, bad day. And somehow they found themselves together, but they're struggling with that. And then uh, Saturday, nothing's written about Saturday. It's just kind of a silent day. And nothing, nobody says anything about any, Saturday. You just kind of make it through those Saturdays in life when you've been hurt or broken and you've let somebody down on Friday. Then Saturday is one of those hard kind of days to just hold it together. You just kind of get through it. And they had never experienced anything greater than what they had experienced. And then Sunday come. Sunday come. And all of a sudden the Lord showed up. They didn't believe him at first. And they thought it was just fairy tales. But then they did something. They experienced the resurrected Christ. I have a friend who is single. And he said uh, one of the good things about being single is that you can drink orange juice right out of the container. And if you get too much in your mouth, you can spit it back into the container. (laughs) And he says when he goes to another single 
house. A single will say, can I get you something to drink? How about some orange juice? (laughs) And he would say, you know, I don't think I want any orange juice today. And here's the idea. Uh, One experience helps us to deal with another experience. And out of that experience will color what we do in the next experience. But the disciples had never experienced anything like this before. It was a risen Christ. Now, how do we know that uh, the resurrection is real? One is because the empty tomb, because they went to the empty tomb. And section after section tells us that it was empty. And Paul, when he talks about the gospel talks about they placed Jesus in the tomb. And it was a lot about the body of Jesus after the crucifixion. They took time. Usually a body was taken and put in a wagon and take to Gehenna and they're dumped in the kind of place or people just let them just fall off and stay there at the Calvary. But they took a lot of effort. Nicodemus came out of nowhere as a believer, he was a hidden believer. And Joseph of Arimathea, both of them were kind of hidden believers. They stayed in the background. But after the, they went to Pilate and asked for the body of Christ, and they placed him in a tomb that nobody had ever been. And the women stood there and watched. And as they watched, they didn't have time on that Sabbath day to do a proper memorial and put the spices on. So they placed him in the tomb in a hurry. So they knew where the tomb was. So it's an empty tomb. They never found the tomb. There was no tomb to be found. There was a tomb, but Jesus wasn't in the tomb, and they came to see that. But here's the most important uh, evidence for the resurrection. The change in the disciples' life. Something happened that could never be explained, but something happened that changed them to be a part of the movement of Jesus Christ that would change this world. The Jews thought about a small world and they just wanted their world. But when Jesus comes, he talks about and he breathes on him them to receive the breath of life and then he sends them out to change the world. And I don't know if you've ever been to Disney World, but if you go to Disney World, you will go to a place called There's a Small World After All. Have you been to one of those places? It's a small world after. Is that a good song? I don't know whether that is or not. But you go in there, if you go in there during the summer, it's a place where you get cool. But after a while, it's a small, because the gnaw on you, man. You're just tired of it's a small world after all. But for Jesus, it wasn't a small world. He sent them out to change the whole world. But this is what happened. He said, I'll go with you. And where I am, and where you're sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, I am there with you. Now let's look at some of those appearances. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter 20. John chapter 20. The first appearance that Jesus made was to Mary Magdalene. There's so much written about Mary Magdalene. Where did she come from? She had a sordid past. 
a very sordid past. And Jesus cast seven demons out of Magdala is a little town. And I remember going to Magdala doing some excavations there in Israel these days. And there in that town, Jesus had a itinerant ministry and he would go around to different cities and he would teach and preach. And then one day he came to Magdala. And this lady was there. And everybody had cast accusations against her. She came out of an evil world. But there were a lot of things that she did she wished she had never done. The person she had been in that past was the kind of person she was ashamed of who she was back then. And so Mary thought maybe if Jesus is dead, what's going to happen to all of that shame and guilt and evilness? Is it going to come back to me? And I'm going to have to deal with this again. There was a lady that uh, came to me when I was pastor at another town. And she told me about her college life and how she went crazy in her college life and did a whole lot of things she wished she had never done. And she said this, uh, and she was raising three girls, and as she was raising her three girls, she was so ashamed of that part of her life, it just kind of pulled her in so much emotionally, it wrung her out, and she felt so ashamed of all that. And she came to me, and she married a husband later on uh, who had not been a part of any of that, and she had a hard time just sharing that with him. And so she came to me and said, Dr. Henry, what can I do with that? And I said, well, why don't we go in the sanctuary? So we went in the sanctuary and and we knelt down in our sanctuary on the pew there. And and I said, now listen, I'm going to pray for you. And after I pray for you, I'm going in the back of the church. But when I leave, you sit here with the beautiful stained glass window that's there and the sense of God's presence. And I want you to pour your heart out to God. And when I went in the back, I watched this girl just really just struggle. And the more she struggled, things kind of got better and better and better. She was meeting the living Christ at that moment, and he was meeting with her. And all that sordidness and everything kind of melted away in the hands of a Savior who lives. If you have your Bibles, look at uh, Mary, how she dealt with this. Chapter 20, verse 22. Oh, excuse me. I messed that up. So let's go with verse 16. She's in the garden. And you remember the song, I go to the garden alone, while the dew is still on the roses? And the voice I hear is that voice of the living Lord. A guy named um, Austin Murray 
uh, wrote that. Not Murray Austin. Murray Austin didn't write it. He could have. He could play it. He, he didn't write it. But he was a pharmacist, and uh, he was in his basement going over his quiet time. And he looked at this moment that Mary had with Jesus, and he could see it in his eyes. And he wrote that song in the garden. But here's Mary. If you look in verse 16, Jesus said to her, Mary. As only Jesus could say Mary. She turned herself and said unto him, Rabboni, that is being master. And he said to her, don't grab hold of me. Go around. It's okay. I got this. I'm going to heaven and sort it all out. But I got this. And Mary experienced the living Christ in her moment, just like this lady who had experienced the living Christ in that moment. He lives. And he lives to help us to go through our experiences. And when he speaks your name, Easter happens. Resurrection happened. He spoke my name and church doesn't any longer exist at Central Baptist Church. He spoke my name in the balcony and I asked Christ into my life by my mother's bed. He speaks your name and Easter happened. Now turn with me another place where Jesus shows up. In Luke chapter 24. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 24. It's two people that are on the road to Emmaus. And as they're going to Emmaus, which is like seven miles outside of Jerusalem, they're struggling with all the events of the crucifixion. And so it says in verse 13, if you have your Bibles, and behold, two of them went that same day to a village called Emmaus. Emmaus is one of the strings, seven miles. That was outside Jerusalem. And they talked together of all the things that had happened. And it came to pass that while they communed together and reasoned, then Jesus drew near and went with them, but their eyes couldn't see him. He was walking with them and talking with them, and he says, what's happening? He let them pour out their hearts. And one of them was named Cleophas. Now, if I was Jesus and wanted to appear to somebody, I would appear to somebody named, named Augustus, not Cleophas. Cleophas must have been from Chilton County. Amen to anybody <laughs> named Cleophas. And Cleophas was with the companion. I think that was Mrs. Cleophas, the two of them were leaving out. And Jesus turned to him, and, and they had this Bible study along the way, the living Christ. And then they got to their destination, and they had some bread on the table, and they asked him to be there with them. That's what he comes. He comes by invitation. And when he was there, he broke the bread. And when he broke the bread, they recognized him. He was there all the time, but they didn't recognize him. It take those kind of trigger moments in your life to recognize Christ. But then they looked back, and they looked back, and they said this in verse 32, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked with us along the way? 
and while he opened to us the scriptures. That is, he appears to us in those days when we read God's word and all of a sudden there's a living Christ that comes across that page and we've read that scripture several times, but all of a sudden we've read the scripture this time and the scripture is so alive that it's the living Christ and our hearts are burned within us. Sometimes it takes that reflection looking back on times and you have times that if you, you find Christ in the history of your life and sometimes in the moment of your life, I pass calculus. Amen. If it wasn't for Jesus, I don't think I'd ever class pass calculus. But I find him in times in my life when I look back and I say, wow, Lord, you were there. You were there in those moments that I didn't even know you were there, but you were there. And we experience a living Christ sometimes when we reflect back on our life and we see where Jesus was there in times that we didn't even know he was there. So the resurrected Christ made a difference. They turned around and go back to the disciples and they said, we have seen the Lord. Now, one other place, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter 20. Turn back to John chapter 20. The disciples are gathered in the upper room and they don't know what to do. They're struggling. Verse 19 of chapter 20. Same day being the first day of the week when the doors were shut. I don't think they even took up a collection that day. Amen. The doors were shut. Disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews. They have no idea what's going to happen next. All of a sudden, Jesus stood in their midst. And if I had been there and stood in their midst, if I had been Jesus, I would have had them on the floor doing push-ups. You guys let me down. I'll let you have it. But that wasn't our Lord. He said, peace. Hebrew word, shalom. He showed them his hands and his side because that's the price that it paid. It really was Jesus. And the disciples were glad. But who wasn't there that day was Thomas. Verse 24, but Thomas, one of the twelve called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. He was on watching it on TV. Amen. Isn't that what you do? It ain't the same. It's not the same as being there. It's something about being gathered with God's people it just makes a world of difference. And Jesus says, where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I in the midst of that. Thomas said, I will not believe unless I see his scars. And all of a sudden, Jesus showed up and showed him his scars. He had eyes of faith. And what happens in when we gather together, it helps us to see life as only faith can show us how to live. And he saw the resurrected Christ. Thomas has a record of dying in India, Burma, where he became a great missionary. And there they, they killed Thomas. But Thomas let that, that sight and that experience with Christ be the determining factor in his life. 
Now, let me uh, just share with you that uh, Susan and I, a couple of days ago, met with a lady who is having her third round of chemotherapy treatments. Uh, she came in her baseball hat. And we went to the um, center there where Mitchell Center, which is Isaac's place there in Fairhope. And before she went into her chemotherapy treatments, we talked a little while uh, and just shared things. And she is sharing about the fact that she is afraid that too many chemo makes you immune to what it can do, and that's what she's holding on for life. But then the four of us grabbed hands And I prayed for her. I prayed for her husband to be very close to her as she goes through this experience. And I wish I could tell you there was this healing. I wish I could tell you that, but I can't. What I can tell you is that while we held hands, God gave her strength. God gave him strength to be by her side. And it was a Christ-filled moment because he lived. I can face tomorrow. Now, would you bow your heads with me as we go to the Lord in prayer this morning? And I hope you know Christ as your Savior. I hope you have that experience where you just experience Christ in a powerful way because he's here today. If these stained glass windows could speak and they can speak, they would say he lives and you need to know him as your Savior. As you and I face the unknown of a world that is so different in so many ways that we need somebody to help us go through the moments. So would you just, in your moment, experience Christ, maybe in your prayer time, maybe just for a moment, as we worship together, something about being together, that Christ says he is there with us, he is here with us. And to experience maybe what Mary experienced or what Thomas experienced or what Cleophas experienced. But to have your own experience of the resurrection Christ is your greatest moment. Father, we thank you for this time together and we thank you for our celebration. It's very real. And it is a truth that goes on forever until you come back again one of these days. Until that time, you're here with us. It's an experience the world doesn't have. The world can't give it and the world can't take it away. But as we read your word, we find that experience to be very real and our hearts can burn within us. Take care of us this day and bless our lives. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.